Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Thank you so much. Would you be seated and thank you for being with us tonight. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And tonight we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6. What I'm doing as we study through 2 Corinthians is taking sort of little mini-series as Paul changes his chain of, th of thought We've looked already at the God of all comfort. We've looked at when your walk matches your talk, what's that look like? And now we're talking about being servants of a new covenant. And this is part two, servants of a new covenant. And tonight, the aspect we want to look at that Paul brings out is adequate ministers. Adequate ministers. The last time we were together, we talked about authentic ministry. What is authentic ministry from verses 1 through three. Now, and this is something we have to understand. Only when we're servants of a new covenant do we experience authentic ministry. Christ living in us, manifesting his character towards others through us, is what changes other people. It's what ministers. It's when we're yielded to him and to his lordship, authentic ministry can take place. Now, when this is our prayer, kind of like the little song and the little chorus that I do a lot, uh, Jesus be Jesus in me, no longer me but thee, resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. Now, when you're living that way, then our ministry and our message qualifies us as being authentic. Changed lives are the result of Christ living through us. And I want to tell you something about that. Nobody can argue with that. When you have changed lives that are touched by the Holy Spirit of God and they're and they transformed from within, nobody can argue about that. That's something only He can do. We don't need men's approval of our ministry or our message when we're living surrendered to Him and to His Word. Now, the Corinthian church is Paul's best illustration. It's the perfect illustration. When Crispus, when Paul went over to, to, to Corinth, and he, he began to share and, and preach when his buddies came down. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, got saved. He was saved by God's grace. That's a miracle. Now, if you don't understand that, you've never witnessed to a Jewish person. They don't believe that Jesus is our Messiah. It would have to be the Holy Spirit of God to convict, to convict a person's heart of salvation in, in, from the Jewish religion. And this is what happened in Corinth. And Crispus was the first convert. He was the leader of the synagogue. And the whole church at Corinth was proof that Paul's ministry and that Paul's message was authentic. You see, 
even, even with all of that in mind, and regardless of the good things that God had done, there were those in Corinth who didn't appreciate Paul, and they could not stomach the transforming message of grace. You see, grace comes against everything the flesh represents. Everything I can do in the world, grace tremendously contrasts that. Because only when you receive grace is when you realize you can't do it. And God never said you could, but he can and always said he would. You see, Paul didn't meet these people's standards. These people who hated him to begin with. Since they were proving, the way of proving oneself in Paul's day was to have a letter of recommendation when you went to a church. So when Paul went to Corinth, the people that, that were around him, they said, you know, he didn't bring a letter of recommendation. Well, that's a, a no-brainer. He didn't go there to start a church. He went there to, to make tents and to sell them at the Ispian Games. That's what he did for He never took offerings from people unless it was just a free will offering. He, he didn't live off of that. He, he, he was a bivocational type of individual, and that was by something that God put on his heart. You see, but in their hatred for Paul, they were always looking for something to get him with. And we've been studying 2 Corinthians and realize they've already gotten him for promising he would come when he didn't come. And so they, he begins to answer his critics. He says, okay, I didn't have a letter of recommendation. I didn't have a degree on my wall from this seminary or that college or this Bible study group or whatever. But let me just answer you back. Let me answer my critics. And in verse 1 through 3 of chapter 2, or chapter 3, he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Because when he makes mention of his ministry being in contrast to the ministry of the false teachers, it kind of sounds like he was commending himself. And he said, do you think I'm doing that again? Or do we need, he says, as some letters of commendation from you? He says, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You know what is our letter of recommendation today to, that makes our ministry and our message authentic? It's to transform lives of people, not numbers, not buildings, not a lot of property, not a big budget, but to transform lives of people that the Holy Spirit has been allowed to touch through our yielded lives to the Lordship of Christ. Well, in verse 3, Paul begins to open up what we're going to really get into today. He begins to talk about a new covenant. Now, he doesn't mention it until verse 6. But you know that's where he's going because he says, we're not written on tablets of stone. He says, but on tablets of human hearts. As we saw last week, the tablets of stone were the, the Ten Commandments that Moses was given on Mount Sinai. Now, this gives us an indication of the fact that at least some of the false teachers in Corinth were not just into license and other things. Some of them were legalists. And they followed Paul wherever he would go. These are the religious people. These are the people who get a committee together and, and plan what they can do for God. And they just ask God to join them in case they need some help. These are the people that cannot stomach the message of grace. They preached law. And they preached performance. And they preached religion. So Paul had to bring this up. They were living under the old covenant and as a result producing dead works of the flesh. And Paul tells you why. The phrase tablets of stone 
It's a perfect picture in the in, in, in New Testament of the Old Testament people, their heart when God gave them the law. It was hard. And it was not yielding to what God wanted. Study the life of Israel and see if they had a tender heart. No, they did not. It was hearts of stone. And the law that God gave exposed those hard hearts. We see how Ezekiel understood this. And Ezekiel, in talking about that new covenant that Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians, made a statement in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 when he says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove, now listen carefully, the heart of stone that you've had from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I want to tell you, it's a sad thing when people who try to live under the law, uh, people who do that have to attain a standard. You see, they can't, but they try to, a standard that God has put over them. And they don't understand their flesh that's trying to attain that is like a hardened stone. It, it cannot respond. It's not adequate within itself. It's incapable of attaining to that. And not only that, they become insensitive to anyone but themselves. This is what religion does. If you've ever studied Galatians, you know already what I'm talking about. This is what happened to the Galatian church. They started off under grace, but they, went, they bought that old message of performant religion, and as a result of it, ended up with ruined relationships. But when we yield to the Lordship of Christ, allowing Him to conquer us in the different areas of our life, and we live chained to His chariots, we saw in chapter 2, then He allows us to partake of his divine nature. Let me ask you a question. Did you partake of that today? God has given you a new heart. Have you partaken of that this past week? Have you walked out of that new heart that God has given to you? In him, we have a new heart, and it's not a heart of stone. It's not unresponsive. God has given us a heart of flesh, which is tender, and it yields to him when he speaks to us. When we say yes to Christ, then we experience him we experience that newness of what he's brought to us. And his love begins to flow through us and touch other people around us. Now today in our message, where we'll see Paul illustrate every bit of this. It's funny what he does. He makes his defense and then he explains what he's talking about. You see, only in the new covenants, you better hang on to this tonight. I'll keep reviewing it and reviewing it and reviewing it. You've got to get a hold of this. Only when we are servants of a new covenant are we adequate to minister to anybody. Christ is our adequacy. He is the essence of the new covenant. I told you last week I couldn't wait to get to these verses. I mean, you're talking about living grace. You're talking about the Christ life. We're about to see it like never before. He comes to live in us, and he is the transforming, enabling grace of God in our life. He is the want to, Philippians tells us. And he is the how to when it comes to authentic ministry. Only in him do we become adequate for the task of reaching others for Christ. Now let me read verses 4 through 6 for you, and then we'll come back and look at them. Verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives 
life. Oh, there's so much in these verses. Three things I want you to see tonight. First of all, Christ is the source of our adequacy. Christ, the source of our adequacy. Look what he says in verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Now, what in the world is he talking about, Wayne? Well, he's referring back to something he's already said. When he told the Corinthians, you are our letter, he's totally confident in saying that very thing. He's totally confident that he's authentic to be an apostle and that they are his letter of recommendation. The word confidence there is, is the word papithesis. Uh, I'm sure it excites you. It means our persuasion. It, it means something that's our trust, our confidence. Uh, he said we have confidence in something. We're persuaded about something. The word through is the word via, which means by the means of. Paul was persuaded that his ministry that he had had with the Corinthians was authentic. Why? Because Christ in him had brought it about. He couldn't explain it any other way. He couldn't say, we strategized and we did it this way. We planned and we came out this way. He knew that God had to have done it. Paul never thought for one moment that his ministry was of himself. Well, I wish I could say that about myself. Could you say that about you? That anything you've done in the, in the, in the, since you became a believer and called it ministry, that everything that you've done was not of you, wouldn't you wouldn't be able to say that tonight? But Paul was confident of one thing, that, that this ministry was right. And he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't think of himself as being smart enough or creative enough or anything else to be a minister. He realized his adequacy was only from God. This thought was ever before him. He says, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. And that word toward means before. Before God, pros, it, it has the idea of being before God. Wouldn't it be great if every day we get up in the morning, you heard about the old boy who said, I haven't lusted, I haven't had an evil thought, I haven't said a mean word, but oh God, I'm fixing to get out of bed. And wouldn't it be great in the morning we just got up and we said, oh God, there is no adequacy in me. There's not one single thing about my flesh that's good. Romans tells me that. And, oh, God, I just want to let you know that I want to live in your adequacy today. I want you to be in me what I've already discovered I cannot be. That thought that I've shared with you so many times over the last three years, I first heard from Ian Thomas, and it says, I can't. God never said I could. He can. And he what? Always said he would. Do you realize sometimes we preach this message in here and people walk out those doors and leave it right here in this building and they come back and hear it again, but nobody seems, many people do not seem to be making the connection in their life? I can't do it. But he can. Verse 5. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is where? It's for what? It's from whom? It's from God. Now, I didn't write this. Paul uses the word adequacy there, hikanos. And that means something that's enough. Uh, here it means that which is exactly what is going to be needed for ministry to take place in my life today. I have it in him. That which is needed to complete a task to which we have been assigned by the Holy Spirit. It's used three times in 2 Corinthians. It's used in verse 6 of chapter 2. When uh, Paul said, listen, that's enough discipline. You've, you've taken him far enough. Now forgive him and comfort him. He says in verse 6 of chapter 2, sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. 
That's the word, sufficient. It's used in 2 Corinthians 2, 16 that we looked at earlier. It, it, verse 16 says, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life, and who is adequate for these things? What Paul's talking about is, who has enough understanding within himself? Who has enough strength in himself? Who has enough emotional stability in himself to handle the fact that Christ in him is going to be rejected by many people and yet responded by others? Who, who can handle that, Paul says? To many, it will be an aroma of death. These young people are here. When you go to school and you're letting Jesus be Jesus in you, many people will spit in your face. They will reject it, and, but many will respond. And that's what Paul is talking about. How can some respond and some reject? Who is sufficient for this? Who can handle this? No man can. So the word means to have the adequate resource, to be fully equipped for a task that God has. Paul says, not that we are adequate in ourselves. We don't find this in ourselves. Oh, if I could go back and relive my Christian life, I was told from day one, it's up to you, boy, and you better get some creative ideas and get it done, get it done. And that's all I learned from all those years. And I remember the day when I cried till I, my nose bled when God showed me the filth of my flesh and what I couldn't do. Oh, if I'd just studied 2 Corinthians and understood it from the very day one. But I didn't. We think our adequacy is within us. I guarantee you we do. Not everybody. But the church of 21st century, that's our problem. We, it's too much about us. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can. Never forget that day when I started Center Against Artist Gilmore. Seven feet, three inches tall. His chin was above my head. And these silly, silly little cheerleaders, at least you could hear, understand their cheers, were going, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can, you can do it, you can do it. I couldn't even reach his elbow. And I'm walking out to jump center with him and said, no, I can't. I promise you I can't. I told the referee, just give him the ball. Let's don't waste the energy throwing it up. Why can't we do that in the Christian life? You see, we haven't come to that place yet, have we? Our dear brother Jim last week came to that place. It's painful when you come to that place. It's painful when you see what the flesh cannot do. It's the most painful thing in life, but it's bittersweet. Because on the other side of it, you begin to get a glimpse now of what he can do and been wanting to do. Because our adequacy is not of ourselves. To consider anything is coming from ourselves. Paul said, not that we're adequate in ourselves, to consider anything. Now, he notices he uses that word, tease, anything. I mean, anything as coming from ourselves. The word consider there is the word logizome, and it's, a, it's an accounting word. It has the idea to reason through something, sit down and reason through it, and come to a conclusion. I remember when I was in math, the best three years of my life was first year of math, and I remember beginning to understand it. You know, algebra is a communist plot to destroy the minds of people from America. But when I finally began to understand it and was able to reason through something and drew the line, I came to this conclusion. Have you been able to reason out your Christian life and come to the conclusion, I am not adequate? If you have, you're a candidate for the message of grace. If you haven't, you still do not have a clue what I'm talking about. That's the problem with us, about the old boy that walked up in the pulpit, preached a message, young fella. And realized nobody was listening to him, looking at their watch, yawning. And when he walked off, he walked with his head hung down as if he was broken. 
And the old pastor walked up to him, put his arm around him, and said, if you would have walked onto the pulpit the way you walked off of the pulpit, maybe God could have done something in your life tonight. We still think we can do it. Paul's ministry was not his own, but it was Christ ministering through him. Paul never sat down and thought about for a second what he could do for God. That wasn't who he was when he wrote this. That's why he said in Romans chapter 15 and verse 18, I would not dare open my mouth for anything that I could accomplish for him. I will only speak of that which Christ has accomplished through me. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. And the word from there is the word ek. It means out of ourselves, indicating source. I'm not the source, he says. Christ that lives in me is the source. You see, here's the contrast. Ministry that is performance-based has to be measured by man and his standards. It produces a change of behavior, but it never, never will produce a change of heart. Why? Because it comes strictly from man's ability. Man cannot change hearts. In a performance-based ministry, now listen, God really isn't necessary. Carl Bates made this statement one time, and he said the Holy Spirit could leave the average church for six months, and nobody would know the difference. But authentic ministry, if it's going to be authentic, which is accomplished only by believers that are adequate in Christ, is always evidenced by transformed lives, because that is only what God can do. It is seen in changed heart. It is not the efforts of man, but from Christ and Christ alone. Christ is our adequacy. He doesn't give us strength. He is our strength. He doesn't give us love. He is our love. He is our adequacy. He is everything in us that we have already discovered that we're not. So Christ is the source of our adequacy as we learn to be servants of a new covenant. Secondly, his grace is the force of our adequacy. Now, I kind of had fun with these words, but I didn't really make them up. This really comes from the verse. In verse 6, he references the new covenant, the covenant of grace. Not the covenant of law, but the covenant of grace. And he says, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the Spirit kills, but, and the, the, the letter kills, rather, and the Spirit gives life. Now, he's comparing two things here. It is because of the new covenant that we now become adequate ministers because we have a, a ministry that's, uh, that's right. It's, 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 it's uh, authentic because we're servants of a new covenant. Now, the word new is the word kainos. Do you realize what a covenant is? The word for covenant in Scripture is testament. Do you realize you're carrying around a book of covenants everywhere you go? Do you understand that the Old Testament is the Old Covenant and the New Testament is the New Covenant? And Hebrews 8, 6 says we are of a better covenant. We need to understand this, what this means. The word new is kainos. Kainos means, whoa, qualitatively, totally brand new. I understood that Marty had a bicycle wreck the other day and it knocked him over top of a car and uh, hit him on his head so he's okay. And... Uh, if Marty went out and bought him a new bike because the other one was messed up, <laughs> that would not be this word. That would be the word neos. We only have one word for new in our language, and that's what throws us. 
But if Marty went out and bought a spaceship, that's kind of qualitatively totally brand new. Never seen one of those before. This covenant that we're in because of Jesus is something that is so radically different than the way man thinks and the way man lives. It is called kainos, the new covenant, totally brand new. That's why we have to have our minds renewed and our lives transformed. We don't even think like this new covenant has made us to think. We've got to learn to think that way. Paul used to be a servant of the old covenant. If you ever studied Paul's life, do you understand what a religious man he was? I mean, you look over in Philippians 3 when it says, when it came to the righteousness found in the law, he was blameless? Come on, Paul. Everything man required, he met their requirement. Everything. And it's interesting, the most religious man ever lived is being questioned in Corinth about being authentic. You know why? Because he's coming to a new covenant. The word servant is the word diakonos. It can be translated and is in the King James Version, minister. Ministers of a new covenant. Paul was under the control and the condemnation of that old covenant for most of his life. But it was on that Damascus road one day when Jesus saved him, when he saw his Lord, and he was never again the same. He only knew how to serve in his own adequacy, in his own power. Everything he tried to do was in him, his own power. His adequacy was of himself. I'm telling you, if you ever really want to understand what religion will do to you, study the life of Paul. But Paul says in verse 6, and this is such a drastic turn for him, he said, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives. What does the Spirit give? Life. The word covenant, and I'll, this fall in my seed class, we're going to do a whole thing on covenant. It just needs to be understood. But the word covenant is the strongest word in any, any language for a binding relationship. He was in the old covenant of law, which bound him to death and separation from God. But in Christ, he's now bound to him and for eternal life that he's offered to him. Paul says that the new covenant is not of the letter, but it's of the Spirit. He said, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see, the old covenant of law... In Romans 7, he says the law is not bad, but there's a real downside to it. Do you know what the downside to the law is? If you want religion, this is what you got. The old covenant of law never could enable one to, to achieve what it demanded. Never could do it. God gave it. It's his standard. That's what Romans 7 teaches. The letter kills. What Paul's referring to is that the, the law written on tablets of stone that no man could attain. The law killed every one of us, folks. It put every one of us under condemnation. It showed every one of us to be sinners born in sin by the fact that we couldn't love, live up to it. You see, not only it shows us that, but it judges us and assigns us to eternal separation from God. That's what the law does. It proved us all inadequate. Why in the world we think our flesh is any more adequate after we get saved than it was before we got saved is a mystery to me. I know this is difficult for some of you to understand, but I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord to reveal it to you. Whenever we try in our own power to do ministry, in our own power to accomplish for God, in our own efforts, in our own creative, creative abilities, we have just put ourselves back up under that which will, and I promise you, will prove us inadequate in God's eyes. Oh, Wayne. 
Uh, you just always talk about this stuff. Leave us alone. We're going to do it our way anyway. Well, good, good, good. Put me to the test. Okay, tomorrow, put me to the test. Get up in the morning because God tells me to love every man, whether he's a believer or an unbeliever. He tells me to love others. Get up in the morning and you just throw all this away and say, God, I'm going to love my brother today. Bless your heart. God will perish you to brother in your life. You think you, you, you didn't know it existed. And by 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, you're going to be saying, God, I can't. And God's going to say, duh, I told you you couldn't. You're not under that old covenant, though. I don't expect you to. Tell me you can't. I can't. Thank you. I never said you could. Now understand, I can, and I always said I would. I live in you. That's the new covenant glory of grace. I live in you to do through you what you could never do yourself. I'll give you another, for instance. Ephesians 5, 25 says to love your wives. Today's Mother's Day or tomorrow. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Tried it lately? Anybody tried it lately? Oh, yes, Brother Wayne, I'm just doing wonderful. Bless your heart. You just think you are because he gave himself for the church. You'd be willing to die to everything, all of your agenda and all of your attitudes for the sake of your wife. Oh, oh, is that in there? As <laughs> one little book on marriage. It says, uh, get a teddy bear and put it in the freezer, and your wife will find it one day with a little note that says, I love you, and that will help your marriage. Do what? If my wife finds a frozen teddy bear in the freezer, she's going to have me committed. It's amazing how we come up with all this little stuff. Going, No, no. You can't love your wife as Christ loved the church. And if you haven't figured that out yet, then no wonder you're struggling. Come to the place to say, God, I can't do that, Father. But I want to be a vessel. Make me adequate in Christ. Do through me what I could never do in a million years in my own adequacy. That's what the new covenant's all about. It's good news in the new covenant. But the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, puts everybody to death under judgment and assigns them to eternal separation from God. It renders a man inadequate. But the new covenant, the Spirit comes to live in us and gives us life. God sent His Spirit to come into those who admit that they're sinners, totally inadequate for anything He demands. Oh, He shows them that they're separated from God. But to those who believe on Him, He comes to live in them. He is their life. Christ is life. John 10, 10 says, I've come that you might have and have it how? More abundantly. Where are we going to get it? Does that mean a new house? A bigger bass boat? Not here. Not in this day. <laughs> we have to have water first. No, He is our life. He is our life. Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is our life returns. He says in Philippians 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ. He says in Galatians 2, 20, it's not me, but it's Christ. Doing what? Doing what? Living in me. That's new covenant language, folks. That is not old covenant language. Old covenant language, it's up to you. You better get with it. And I'll tell you something, you're already inadequate before you even got started. But the message of grace, the covenant of grace is I can't. But God says, I know that, son. I know that. And I love you so much, I'm going to come and be in you what you could never be yourself. All oh, the grace of the new covenant makes us adequate in Christ. After dying on the cross, he resurrected, ascended to the Father, and then he sends his spirit to come and live in you 
and in me. I, I pray every day that you'll, God will reveal this to your heart. I, the day he did in my own, I mean, I couldn't quit crying. It was the most exciting thing, but I didn't understand all of it, but I just understood enough of it to know it was good. The gospel is really good, folks. The mark of the new covenant is his spirit living in us. When we trust him as our Savior, he comes to live in us to make us adequate in the power of his spirit. Now, I know you've seen this 85 million times, but we got some churches here that hadn't been here before. <laughs> so act like you hadn't seen it. This is my University of Tennessee football jacket. They won the national championship in 1998, so I just have to have one, you know. I love John Ward at the beginning of football season in the SEC. It's football time in Tennessee. And when they're scoring, he'll get on the 10-yard line. They've already scored. He's going 10, 9. He's on the 8. He's on the 7. He's on the 6. He's already scored 15 minutes ago. He's on the 5. He's on the 4. He's on the 3. He's on the 2. He's on the 1. Give him 6. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I want him one of these jackets bad. And I had to look for it because this is my size. As you've heard me tell about my sport coat and my other coats, this is my size. I went in that store, and that little jacket was hanging on that hanger, inadequate to redeem itself from its predicament of rotting on a hanger in a clothing store. I had to go to it. It couldn't come to me. Don't you wish it could come to you? Wouldn't that be fun? Ding dong. I'm your jacket. Put me on. I had to go get it. Now, I paid way too much for this jacket. Now, some of you people out there that sell clothes, you're going to stand before God one day. I purchased it with a high price, and I pulled it myself. It's mine. I bought it. Something new has happened to this. The old, and now it's under the new. I brought it to myself. I can command this jacket to do anything I want it to. Does it have any right? Are you kidding me? Do you realize that 21st century Christianity has no biblical basis probably at all in most people's mind? We don't have any rights. Now, if I choose to give it privileges because it's bought with a price. That's what Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. I can say, sleeve, look out there at my buddy Ray and wave at him and let him know how much you appreciate. He's waving at you. You wave back at him. Tell him how much you appreciate what I did for you. Now, if you love me, you'll do it. I command you. This is a law. Hey, sleeve, get with it. Put this in spiritual terms. Wayne, love your wife as Christ loved the church. We talked about that. Come on, Wayne. Come on, son. Come on, man. The teddy bear won't get it. Do you know the only way I can get this jacket to do what I want it to do? Because this is the new, not the old. In the old, it's condemned for not being able to do it, and it's separated from me forever. But in the new, I came and got it, and it's mine. And the only way I can get this jacket to do what I want it to do is just get inside the jacket. Because when I'm inside the jacket, the life in the jacket makes it adequate. And I can say to that sleeve, wave at those folks. Woo! Learned something, didn't I? The jacket by itself was inadequate. Proven so by a law I gave to it, and it could not perform. But now it is because of the life that is within it. Christ is the source of our adequacy. Grace is the force of our adequacy. And changed lives is the course of our adequacy. You know what Paul's doing? 
I'm going to go right back now where we started. Paul said, you are my letter of recommendation. He's just explaining what he just said. I couldn't have made you become a church. I couldn't have changed your lives. That had to be God, which makes me authentic because it's him living in me. The ministry that the Spirit has in us takes its course through us to the lives of others. The Spirit of Christ now living in us affirms us as adequate to minister to others. He produces in us, as we saw in chapter 2, the sweet fragrance, the sweet aroma, and is seen by the way we treat each other, not rudely, not gruffly, but with the sweetness of the fruit of God's Spirit. Fruit has a fragrance to it. That's what He produces. He enables us to walk in His victories. We're chained to His chariot. And He, through us, changes the lives and the hearts of people that need him so desperately. And it's those changed lives that become our letter of commendation that our ministry and our message is authentic. We're only adequate in him, folks. So the way in which we treat one another in the grace of the new covenant, now listen carefully, is more important than what we do for each other. It's the manner by which you treat one another that makes a person authentic because it's Christ manifesting his character through them. If we treat others and it's not sweetened by the fragrance of Christ, then it disqualifies what we do. There is no adequate minister and there is no authentic ministry. But when we're servants of a new covenant, that's when it takes place. I was at a conference once, and a friend of mine told me. He said, Wayne, I've always wanted to meet Billy Graham. And I, I've met him a couple of times, but he said, I, he's an evangelist. And he said, I, I've always wanted to meet him and ask him to pray for me. His name was Everett. And old Everett went to a banquet that night. It was at a big meeting, and he got on the front row, I mean, the front tables. I mean, he, he, he got there 30 minutes before anybody got there because he wanted to make sure he shook Billy Graham's hand. And he got on that, and that Billy Graham never comes in until right time to speak. And they brought him in to speak, and he was about ready to leave, and he, he, he couldn't stand it. He said, got to chase him down. They hadn't been around him, and he ran up and said, Dr. Graham, Dr. Graham. And Billy said, settle down, Everett. You know my name? Oh, Everett, I've known your name for about the last four or five years. I've been following your ministry and praying for you that God would use you as his vessel. Everett went back to his table with his buddy sitting there. He walked back and he says, he knew me. He knew me. He knew me. Uh, it's great for Billy Graham to know you. We sung it a while ago. Do you know the night that if you're in the new covenant, you're a believer? God knows you. He's known you before the foundations of the world. And you know what? You're his letter that he's sending out because you're a changed life. And the people that you're allowing God to love through you are becoming more and more letters with your even name up in the corner because you were a vessel that let God use you. You're ministering out of a new covenant, not an old covenant, which is made up of committees and well-meaning, sincere people, and they haven't yet seen God change a life. They can only change behavior and environmental things. They can't change the inside of a person. That's real ministry. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.